0: Welcome to the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. Every episode is titled, It Starts With Tennis, and goes from there. We talk with coaches, club managers, industry business professionals, technology experts, and anyone else we find interesting. We want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis.
1: Hey, hey, this is Sean with the Atlanta Tennis Podcast, powered by Go Tennis. Check out our calendar of Metro Atlanta tennis events at letsgotennis.com where you can also find deals on equipment, apparel, and members get 10% off our shop. So go get yourself an Atlanta Tennis Monsters shirt. I've got mine, and I wear it all the time. In this episode, we talk to Scott McCulloch, who is president and COO of Cliff Drysdale Tennis Management, a group which manages Chateau Elan, Standard Club, and two huge facilities in Rome, Georgia. Have a listen, and let us know what you think. Let's start
0: with Chateau, because that's more of the, obviously, that's a resort to me. That's, you know, I always felt like, why, why aren't they doing more weekend getaway type things?
2: I think it sort of changed over the years. I'd say early on in the the early years, it was normally you got the call not after the banner year. It was normally there was, right. a, there was an issue, there was some exchange need to be made or a direction change. And that's where you were brought in. So I think that was a lot of the early routes for us as we picked up a lot of contracts. But then as years have gone on and we've gotten bigger with more resources and more support, sometimes it's coming into a good operation and then enhancing what's already there, taking what's already good and then just putting, for lack of better words, putting it on steroids, putting more people around it, more resources, connecting it to more other properties. So there's an enhanced value proposition for the membership because by being a member here, you now have access to these clubs and these resorts in different parts of the country as well. Uh, Chateau Alon initially started because it's a true managed club on the golf side. So that's how the introduction came through the engagement there. But yes, I mean, not much had happened in years. They put a bunch of money into the property. Um, So we actually do a a lot of camp business there. That's the majority of the business at Chateau Alon. We have tennis and wine weekends, pickleball and wine weekends, we're going through a resurface project right now, so that'll sort of turn into some more beefing up of the membership and local offerings, but you're right, it's a little outside of the the immediate scope of what is known as the juggernaut of Atlanta tennis.
0: Mm-hmm. So and I guess we, we're making an assumption, Sean, because we're in the business. We know who Scott is and who he works for, but should we start there? What is, you know, what is Cliff Drysdale and Peter Burwash International – what what you know? What is your mission statement? What what do you try? To, what do you provide? To what is your service? Sure.
2: Um, so you want me to give my name and a little bit of myself? Yeah. We'll
0: just this way, everybody yeah. knows you. And then,
2: like yeah. I said, and, I apologize. We jumped in,
0: assuming everybody knows you, like we know <laughs> you,
2: and we can't do that. Sure. Uh, uh, My name is Scott McCulloch. I'm the president and chief operating officer of Cliff Drysdale Management. And Cliff Drysdale Management has sort of grown over the years. Uh, Cliff Drysdale Tennis uh, was purchased by Troon, who's the largest golf management company in the world, about five years ago, coming up in a couple of weeks from now. And then in December of 2021, Troon then also acquired PBI, which is known as Peter Bow Washington National. So Troon purchased over the f- last five years, the two largest tennis management companies in the world. So that's all now both brands are serviced under our Cliff Drysdale headquarters and we support both those brands, also white label brands and also Troon clubs within all the scope of racket sports from private clubs, city contracts, resorts, um, seasonal clubs, and we service 63 clubs over 13 countries throughout the globe and they all look of different shapes and sizes. Some are one-man operations, some are large operations with tennis, front desk, maintenance, membership, all facets of operations. So whatever is within the club management world, we really dive into that. And then in addition, we have a travel business, which does signature events and camp events to all of our resorts throughout the globe as well. More so domestically, and sort of expanding more into the international scope as well. So um, we sort of live all in that. We our roots were tennis um, for many many years, which is indicated in our name. Still Cliff Guys Del Tennis and PBI International Tennis Specialist, but we've definitely ventured into racket sports as well. And support where I am right now at Key Biscayne, we have a, a large padel operation, and then also a lot of pickleball that's morphed into a lot of our other properties as well. So. We definitely live in in racket sports, but our heart has always been, you know, in the tennis world. I think
0: we're all going through that. But Gigaball yeah, yeah. you know, is such a great opportunity and in Florida, padel as well. I mean, you know, so, you know, it's, it, there's and especially in Atlanta and this, you know, again, we always we ask. We'd love to hear your insight because we always feel Atlanta is so different that Atlanta, unfortunately, for those involved in the industry. It has been historically more at an amenity. It's cheap, the end, you know, because most of these neighborhoods culturally, because of Alta, have been built with tennis courts, lights, and a lot of things that are clubs, other places, are neighborhoods here. So so much is taken for granted. So Atlanta is always a bit of a challenge. Curiosity now, Trune, I, I always you guys were more of a management. Troon owns some of these facilities as well. So you're you're kind of going into the same spaces invited formerly club corp
2: sure no uh Troon is third-party management as well management so as well. Okay. of the yeah as the of the 750 plus properties they oversee they probably have ownership in two to three of them gotcha. so it's yeah primarily third-party management
0: so they're staying out of the real estate game probably good for them
2: <laughs> yeah. a little less complex
0: <laughs> yes exactly very good. So that 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 certainly helps, I think, everybody, because it's it's fascinating. Obviously, I had a, a, a friend, partner starting off who was a PBI alumni and was, you know, out in Hawaii and, and got, you know, we started the idea of, of management company, you know, 20 some odd years ago and always left scalability so difficult because either, you know, tennis, especially in Atlanta, there's no overhead. So your your majority of your Revenue gets is being paid out. It's, it's labor intensive. So I, I loved what you said earlier about, you know, we, we take our margins and through obviously size, we can grow our margins that way because it's, it's a tough business. I mean, you know, you guys do it very well and, and you, I come from a great, but it's a tough business. It's not easy.
2: It's a, it's a grueling business and it's always, particularly in the early years, there's a, um, there's a challenge with scale because as you take on more properties, they're not all properties are where their potential are. They may be starting out and there's a, there's a slow turn to get a club right. really under, under the rails. Um, but then to add value to that, you've got to have experts and support staff that support those teams. And that's sort of then a balance of how many, you, where's the, the horse before the, you know, the cart before the horse, because do you get the support staff to then go out and get clubs? Or as you get clubs, how do you then scale up the support as well? And, there's razor thin margins in it, because like you said, everything is really within the revenue that you can charge for tennis. And then all the you've got all the costs and the payroll and the overhead and the business operations, that it's a very thin margin business that you've got to be very on point and very detailed and accurate. You can't take too many swings without some good thought process behind it and sort of how you're going to approach it and how you approach scaling, because you've got to do it Within the right step, because if you're not taking care of home base where you are, then you can't go out and get it, get five or 10 more, because those are going to collapse on you. So you've always got to have a, an eye for growing, but also a growing the sustainability of what you've got as well and making sure there's quality in that. Well, with, within a business, you want to grow, but at a club,
1: like at, at a single club, if we want to talk Chateau Alon or you know, Atlanta specific, Chateau Alon or Standard Club. They don't care about you growing. They don't want you to, they don't, they don't actually want you to grow. They want everybody else to go away and they only care about themselves. And what are you going to do for my club? So how do you come from your position? It's kind of a tied in question of kind of improving tennis in general in Atlanta. So you're this big conglomerate that comes down to help manage a facility rather than a Bobby Schindler type who runs his facility and doesn't have all the, all the other clubs to worry about. He can focus on his one club. How do you still have that personal touch that not getting too big to care about a Chateau Alain or Standard Club specifically?
2: Sure. I think um, there's pieces in that. I mean, there's always the uh, perception that you're this big corporate office. We actually call our office HQ because we we feel like it's more relatable to be headquarters rather than corporate. Um, And we just try to break down stereotypes. I turn up to work every day in tennis clothes. So, you know, we're at the root of it all. We're guys and girls that we have a company because we take a tennis court every day. Um, I think one of the big goals that we, we aim at when we approach a property or engage with a property is what are the goals of ownership and what, what does success look like for them? And that may look like engagement, growing a program, events, um, membership, experience, value proposition of getting access to other properties. So I think you've got to define that because you're right. If you come in with your goals that may not match up with their (laughs) goals, that creates friction because it looks like the business within the business. So seemingly with um, our team as we engage, we try to really get on that same page. So we define success early on. And then we really leave it up to the the club as well. We have no ego where the brand sits. They can put it out in front. They can co-brand it. Or they can white label it and we be the engine under the hood and it all be about the club brand so i think when you establish that early on then you can work out the landscape of how you're going to operate it and see if there's going to be success there if there's not going to be a number that works for everyone then that's a, a pretty easy piece to sort of you know revisit the conversation later on but if you can achieve what they want and then also I think a lot of clubs as well, they don't understand the opportunity of the value of what you can add. And especially racket sports right now, I mean, the pickleball numbers are all over the place. So we won't get into that. I mean, how they're evaluating how many people there are. But if you put pickleball and tennis, there's 40 million players roughly. That's going to continue to year over year grow. Golf's at about 25 million. So I think more clubs are realizing that racket sports is going to be a lot of the sustainability of their membership. So a lot of their focus has got to, got to turn to retention experience and value add and how you put more on there. So I think to your question there as well with Bobby, it's he could have an amazing operation. I'm sure it's first class in every sense and nothing changes there. But then whatever you can bolt on to the side of that, of adding additional pieces, not changing. I think that's a perception that a lot of people have that we come in and we change a lot. In some instances, yes, because there's, it just needs to be changed flat out. But in a lot, there's a lot of good stuff there. So how do you bolt onto that and put more experiences, access to other clubs, other amenities, and then also say, hey, Bobby, you do amazing, but let us give you some more time to focus on what you do really great and put some other experts around you because you've got the ability to do this, but you don't have to do this. Let's have some other people support that value prop as well and then the experience starts to lift with what they can do because i think a lot of directors are put in tough positions they've got great skill sets but they're asked to do too many things so they can only do things to a certain level they can't really knock things out of the park because they just you get pulled between on court off court and time
1: it's interesting. Because Bobby, Bobby, you said the same thing to me yesterday. So I think this is one of, the, one of the values that they bring is what Bobby and I are doing on a more local scale, which is he's got his club and his expertise. I've got an expertise and they fit together. Can we figure out how to add something into his club to bring value, that, you know, that value add on kind of thing? And I just it's interesting in such a such a low margin business, as Bobby calls it, labor intensive. It's just got to be tough to come in and be able to help and say, OK, we really are. Whether you're turning a club around, you come in mm-hmm. because things aren't great. And you really do need to help with maybe a culture change or not. But if you've got those extra expertise, expertises, what's what's plural of expertise? <laughs> those those extra expertise eye, uh, that you can help that you can help us with. That's really a cool way to be able to come in. And like you said, not completely flip everything on its head, but really give it a, an extra boost.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the goal because, um, and I think a lot of the time clubs don't also necessarily understand how to structure their rackets departments, And they just go off a budget from the year before, rather than looking at the engagement of if participation is growing, we're keeping more members or if residents are, engaging at the amenity center, there's more people playing. That's how we help them sort of justify where they may establish their budget, not just for us, but for keeping quality people and quality staff so that you've got the right staffing model to service the community. Quick example I'd give is I just recently spent some time with a club that that it's a thousand home community. And right now they've got 53% of their Tennis or their community touch racket sports on a monthly basis, but yet racket sports make 2% of their operating budget for their amenity package. So, looking at it, adding more pickleball courts and tennis courts now, it's helping them with the staffing model that you need more leadership, which will increase the budget, but you're now going to service 75% of your community for 4% of your total operating budget. So don't just look at the year-over-year numbers, sort of helping to understand how to put success in there because now their team is going to be able to achieve more success for the community that they serve. So it's sort of putting the round peg in the round hole, not the round peg in the square hole. And I think that's a lot of the value that we bring, not just necessarily to the pros, but also to clubs and understanding how they navigate this landscape going forward. Because if you put those economics of four percent to service seventy five percent of your population, I think most people would take those every day of the week
0: and i and I love your the fact your 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 background is all encompassing you know you you started pumping ball you started as a player pumping balls, then you went into the operations and, and you know everything you say said there I I I go obviously, having some familiarity with, with p b i and and Cliff Drysdale doing it just as long just as well, so much of it is. We we like any like tennis, we we know our foundation. This is what we're good at. So now we we take what we're good at into a situation. And I love Atlanta. Well, my gosh, you got three facilities that are completely different. So you're wearing mm-hmm. three different hats. You got Rome that is, you know, tournament driven, juniors, you got Chateau Alon that is as you know, a community, but a high, very high-end community, more of a resort, and you have Standard Club that historically has been a bit of private club. So, I mean, just here in Atlanta, you have three different hats
2: you're wearing. Exactly. I think that's the fun part. Um, and that's where we cover the, the scope of it all. It's we don't have someone that is the subject matter expert on everything. It's we have all throughout our company, throughout our network, we've got all these great people that we've got the subject matter experts on different pieces of it. So, if every club gets a senior director within our scope. Um, and so, Chateau Alon. Has a senior director that is like a regional director for the director that's in place there. And he runs one of the biggest operations at Amelia Island, which is a big resort community as well. And then, likewise, we have someone to Chateau Alon. So, the person that supports Hannah at Chateau Alon is very skilled in the membership world. And then, same thing, I'm very engaged with the city of Rome. That's got a different set of economics to it because the city of Rome built this beautiful facility and also the downtown facility, uh, to be an economic driver. So right. it's driving tournaments and events. So it's you start to put this whole community together. And I think that's what has sort of made the versatility for us over the years, that whatever the landscape someone in tennis or racket sports is in, we've got it covered, not from one person, but from a multiple of people that have multiple different skill sets. And you can tap into this network at any time. And I think that's one of the things that we foster within our culture. We connect our directors on a weekly basis. They're sent out a coffee chat. So you get paired up each week with a different director, at a different club, maybe in Dubai, maybe in Nevis, maybe in California or Atlanta. And they sort of chat about what the challenges are, what's coming up and where they're having success. And they've got the that whole network to just pick the brain on and See
0: how they can succeed and, and not that we want anything to do with what you're doing but we we, we feel that and you know we have obviously more teaching pros than most cities just because of the sheer abundance of which is good and bad you, you have a lot of guys who you know have a hopper in their trunk and okay now i'm a yep. teaching professional and we're, we're trying really hard to show the value of the of why you want a certified professional why you you know the fact that we have to take continuing education we have to stay engaged in it and try to change that perception i always used to laugh and tell the story the only reason people knew i was certified is that once a year the gpta would take out an ad in net news the alta magazine saying celebrating our certified professionals and they'd be like oh you're certified yeah yeah you know, what does that mean and i always felt that like golf I'm, you know golf does a much better job Mm -hmm. with the PGA card than tennis does with the USPTA or USPTR certification. It just doesn't hold that same car. And even what you go through, and I I love what you're saying, as far as it's great to be able to speak to different people. You know, everything you said, I'm laughing because I've experienced it. Like you said, you you hire somebody good for a community. Well, then the community says, do I really need the management company? I can hire this person. And, you know, we had a a development here in Atlanta, St. Marlowe. We put the girl in, they loved the girl, they hired the girl. So essentially mm-hmm. getting rid of us, then you know, one of the guys called and said, Well, she's not putting on the parties that you used to put on. I'm like, Well, you dismissed us, she's one person. We were a company that was able to help her with the things that because now you got one person trying to do the role of three. And well, that's what happens, you know. And and again, especially in Atlanta, unfortunately, because they have a little bit of a playing background, they think they have more knowledge. And it, it makes it tough, and, and you don't want to hear one person. It's great to be able to talk to Scott, even though Scott can do everything for you. Scott's going to do what Scott does, and then he's going to hand it off and i I think that's just that creates a comfort level for people
2: it, absolutely. I think there's a um whenever you have that person engaged with others around them, they're continually in more of a growth mindset because then they've got others to pull on and others to support them the and I think you always look at it as cost versus value. So if we can continue to bring more value, the cost will justify whatever I pay for my phone a month, I'll continue to pay because the value it brings to my life right. is higher. I don't want to go to a flip phone for $50 a month. <laughs> so, and I think that way in racket sports, too many times we try to take the cost out of it rather than just adding more value. And if you've got someone there like the individual you're speaking about She's got more support, more resources. She can bring more value to the community. She's the captain of the ship, mm-hmm. but the captain of the ship has to have the engine behind it Absolutely. and the person constantly putting the fuel into it and bringing different ideas and different thoughts and what's happening. Because otherwise, as they get very rooted into their community, it could be in that community, it could be the club. They're not hearing everything that's outside or exposed to everything that's outside. And that's also an education piece with pros as well so that they're thinking as well, not just I could do this by myself. or well, you could do a portion of this, but then you're going to continue to get to a spot where you're operating, not where you're growing and operating. And you're not going to be able to attract people in. And then and when you get a pro, you're not going to have the time to really develop them and give them the tools so they can be successful, or very few can. And so I think it's sort of painting that bigger landscape for everyone of
0: how that all works. Well, and I, I, again, I love what you're saying, because it's so much fun. You laugh on, on that side of it, as you described, you hire somebody that can work 40 hours a week on the court. Well, that's what they're good at, but they're not good at growing a program. There's still one pro there. If there's, you know, that's not what their strength, strength is. I loved what you said about the, the clubs. I was at a country club that now is is managed and, I, you know, b- was bought by Invited. And I'd sit there and say the same thing. i am like, look at my people. If you look at the numbers, 60% of my people have a direct correlation to the amenities process. Your golfers, 20% of the membership pay 80% of the rounds. Yet, as you said, the money is going to golf you know you're making more people or more people are participating on the tennis and i fought it look we have more room for more courts no we don't need any more courts. well you know club corp came in they they built more courts and so i'm gone now but i look like a genius but it's funny you know it's it's tough and and as you said you're not just dealing it from the standpoint of the bit you, you got to get the business which is one cell then you got to convince the pro or the you know the person you put in. You're now part of a team. We're not going to do it this way. We got to, it, It's a challenging business, and as we said, it, it's fun in Atlanta. Atlanta, we always laugh. You never want to be the first one out of the catastrophe. As I said, you know something happened at all these clubs that they finally say, or it's been a process where they finally realize through education and time, we don't know really know what we're doing. <laughs> let's call Peter Burwash and let's call Cliff Dresdall because they know what they're doing. And, you know, it, it, that's a good thing, too, because it's almost like surrender. So they're coming to you saying, OK, we, we need to hear outside ideas. So that, that probably is your only saving grace in a lot of these circumstances, is that they're admitting defeat, at least in some capacity.
2: I, I think in, in some instances, yes. But then in some, they're now looking, going, we believe there's more that we can get out of the tank. But we, we like a professional. But they don't have that ability to take it to another level. You know what are our options as well. Particularly, I think in this landscape, as I think it's a good thing. I've never been on as many calls as I have in the last year about clubs looking to add courts to their footprint, because they're actually seeing that in three, four years from now, there's going to be like 80 million racket sports players. That's like one out of every four or five people in America touching racket sports. So clubs are starting to wise up. So we've got to put more rackets bracket sports in here because that's going to be a bulk of our membership and the where it sits on the survey every year is now going to it's starting to sit a lot higher as well and that's going
0: to change the incremental revenue producers as well you know that's going to give different point of purchase which you hate to say uh, uh, you know a country club is more driven by point of purchase because all the members know when the sales come so they're not buying every day they're they're waiting for Christmas you're you're getting your, your point of purchase and if you do an outing well if I go to Chateau Alon obviously I want something that says Chateau Alon on it so I'm more apt to buy a shirt as a visitor than the, the member so all the, the things you got to deal with and, and I love we laugh though the only thing we got to worry about with the the racket sports growth is it seems like hospitals are getting a, a big boom as well from the pickleball participation that we're half a billion dollars into healthcare costs in the last year because of emergency room visits. So that'll be a whole different diet. We'll all have hospital rooms, you know, part of our, our program. Well we 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 got a doctor right here. Come on in. So but they
2: might stop they might stop building pickleball courts next to ERs. So they, you know, <laughs> make it convenient for you. <laughs> yeah. Putting in the parking lot.
0: I absolutely agree. That makes it a little bit easier fascinating good stuff good stuff Sean I don't want to monopolize
1: this go ahead <laughs> well I wanted to uh I wanted to focus on figuring out again from Scott while well, we've got him and we won't take take up too much of your time Scott because I look at, at 63 clubs and would you say 13 countries so mm-hmm. you, you probably got a few things to do today um and plenty of time <laughs> <laughs> that's good to hear that means things are going well right well, we'll um, be back too, Scott. We'll bother you again. Don't worry. Yeah, worry.
2: Good. <laughs> Anytime.
1: We can be tenacious. Um, but from a, from a culture point of view, you talk about coming in and, and helping a club and either being the support structure or the brand out front. You could, you, if you need it under new management sign, like that's usually there for a reason to let people know, hey, by the way, we got rid of the guy you didn't like, you know, that, that kind of thing. Or being the more under the, under the hood, as you say. The the engine type is that is that cultural within Cliff Drysdale is that your culture is that how it's always been how do you guys how do you guys make that part of the
2: deal? I think that's always been the the DNA. I mean, where I am today is uh, the Ritz Carlton Key Biscayne. This was our number one club, and that was sort of the growth of Cliff Drysdale, Cliff and uh, his partner Don Henderson. They started here and then um the city of western which i'm based at a lot as well was our second club the city manager called and said hey we need some help we're building this new tennis center some of it comes from new belt uh, new builds so we come in early and we help with the design process and laying it out correctly because what we did here is we built a club that's got the clubhouse in the center and all the courts around too many times they build facilities where clubhouses here and then the courts go all the way out the back and so it's got a terrible terrible environment so we help them with this and then we help them with uh, the city of western and then that was just part of the dna it's sort of going in to see how we can help and assist i think the misconception about both pbi and cdt is that they're the four-headed monster coming to clear everyone out and you know move everyone around i think it's sort of couldn't be further from the truth i mean there is a lot of instances where we come in and our goal is we try to work with what's there, providing the team that are there have got a mindset that is in line with winning for everyone, winning for the club, winning for the members, winning for themselves. Unfortunately, there's a, there's not always that mindset. So that's where it does create separation. Mm -hmm. So you need to put realign what success and what the goals are. Um, So that's been our approach all the time. It's, we've tried not to, toot our home too much and say it's all about us really it's more about the club and the brand of the club and what the club is doing and what the resort is doing but however we can leverage our brand to an audience that we have to attract people so if it's a resort when i i started at amelia island before scott came in um there really wasn't much coming in now we're the largest wholesaler for room nights for amelia island so we drive a lot of business through our camps there so I think that same thing with Chateau Alon. I mean, it's we're not the largest wholesaler there, but we bring a lot of room nights in, but it's it's really putting the, what can we do with our brand name, but try to be very respectful to the property and have it be about the community and the property and not about us. And you know put the appropriate branding where, where it needs to be. Um, and that's always just be on our DNA. I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're all in hospitality. So you've got to have a service heart, and if you have a service heart, you come at everything from how do you serve others. You tend to figure a lot of things out and come at it with the right approach, rather than the how do we take care of us as we come into a relationship. Because at the end of the day, we aim at everything to be a long-term relationship, not a short-term one. So you've got to come with the how do they get the fifty-one percent win and you get forty-nine, but for you know not the other way around, because that's probably going to grow when you find common alignment and ways that you can partner long-term, which has been what led to most of our growth. It all came from organic referrals from, you know, someone was happy with what we were doing. So they told a friend as they heard about a club was there or GM moved from one hotel to another. So when he got there and he had tennis, he was like, I had a great experience here. I want to bring these guys in here and or GM's talking within private club world or, you know, the resort world.
0: Well, it's just, it's little things. Again, what you said, it, it, it makes me laugh. I mean, again, we all talk about it and I'll say it out loud, just the positioning of the courts, you know, creating that heart. You know, we have a tournament here in Atlanta that we always laugh about and not to poop, it's just, it's a tough facility. And it's one of the few tournaments I've ever been to where you don't have to go through the sponsorship village to get to your seat. So you know, every place else, they're, they're going to, corral you into you know, getting their sponsors value. And just because of the configuration of the facility, that makes it difficult. It is you know, something simple. How many times we laugh that there, believe it or not, guys, there is a way to position the court to minimize the sun. And you know when the developers, develop, he's worrying about giving up the land, that he's not going to make money off of a house, or even just to start the process with you guys and say, hey, I don't have this knowledge. Could you? I'm sure you'd help because, like you said, 10 years down the line, when they hit that point, when they do realize, okay, I need help. These guys helped me out in the past, it would be so much easier. I'll, I'll use the, the, the infamous and I'd love it. I, I wish I could remember Sandy's last name when PBI took over the Olympic facility. You know, everybody was going, ho. who was going to get it? They give it to PBI. And through nothing they did, because, again, Sandy was the greatest guy I've ever met. I love Sandy. I'd go over there. But it was just a horrible location. That that was on the Olympic Committee for creating that mess. It had nothing to do with PBI. They inherited the mess. And now it's a ghost town. And it's a ghost town. Unfortunately, they, they can't even implode because it's too expensive to implode it. You know, that's the ridiculousness of, of the industry. And, and it through no fault, excuse me, of the management company. So it's tough. I mean, like you said, you here in Atlanta, you got three completely different hats you're wearing. It's it's an interesting, you know, circumstance for on top of the internal stuff. It's just wild.
2: But the, the interesting is the fun part to it because yeah. you you <laughs> you always stay, you always stay in some real life conversation of what's different. You don't get you can't get complacent right. because you've also got to and the funny thing as well is they can lend each other to blend and mix as well. Because people can even be at Standard Club, which is a beautiful facility, and take a little staycation over at Chateau Alon. Or same thing, be at Rome or be at Chateau Alon and head down to Rome for a tournament as well. So it's it's nice that there's commonality. They don't friction a lot. You can actually blend them in. So having diverse products actually has been, I think, part of our success and in probably in many ways um, economically helped us survive some tough times in the early years. because as one model is doing well with resort and they're not doing so well at the club level or vice versa. So just
0: had a question because the one that always intrigues me because is the idea of Chateau Lawn just because it's so beautiful. And I don't know how familiar do you, is the majority of your business from this, like you said, the staycations people locally within what you'd call Metro Atlanta, just coming in and
2: really getting this oasis in the middle of the city sure uh different times of the year with just the atlanta weather patterns and things like that but a lot of the business there is from from staycation from the atlanta area but also we have a travel department as well that books camps we have two uh wonderful ladies katie and megan that that's all they do all day every day they book custom camps and signature camps at all of our properties so we drive a lot of business and tennis and wine weekends pickleball and wine weekends. Tennis weekends, so that is a lot of it. Um, And then we're going through a uh, resurface project there right now. So hopefully, looking to, I think it's right that area to get more people into tennis, like tennis 101 and pickleball 101. I mean, get people engaged, not necessarily fight for the established market and have people come out and put inconvenience on them. Just take the people that are right there and get new players.
0: Right. And that's the exciting point. I I think that's where pickleball really can help the tennis get that new player. And again, you've said it in Atlanta, they're synonymous wine and tennis pickleball. And you know, you got the wineries, we got half the battle. I mean, a lot of, they get tempted by the beach, but once they're at the beach, they go back to the wine. So now you're,
1: you can be local and get the wine. So why don't we just go right there? Scott, from your vantage point, you get to see all, all of those different Aspects. You know, Bobby and I, I, in an email earlier, you know, I said, you're not really a guy in the trenches, meaning on court every day. Bobby and I were both probably, Bobby, you're on court this morning already before we talk. And, it, and it's, it's different from that administrative management role that says, I'm, I'm guessing um, we can all remember the time when there was 40 hours a week on court. I think, Bobby, you're still practically doing that. But at, at some point you look at it and you say, okay, I'm I'm now looking at it from a president of a management company point of view, being able to see places like Rome, places like Chateau Alon and Standard Club and and the Ritz and the and the fancy places and the resorts. Where is all do you have a, a magic eight ball? Do you have the ability to <laughs> see from a vantage point? You got you got a little drone, a drone's eye view. Yeah. I think instead of bird's eye view we now say drone's eye view right to be able to see okay here bobby sees hey you know what here's the culture in my area and this is our anecdotal evidence and i've got my anecdotal evidence here what do you have from that view that says okay i've got all the numbers guys where's everything headed
2: i get i get everyone chipped in their shoulder when they come on board that's right (laughs) um i think my history's always been in tennis i mean it's I taught my first lesson when I was 15 years old. Um, I still remember the lesson. I mean, it was terrible because at the end of the lesson, I didn't know whether the kid was right-handed or left-handed. So I'm glad I got past the first one and stuck in there. Um, but yeah, I came from playing competitively, teaching, stringing rackets on, you know, working in the pro shop on Sundays. So all of my roots have always, my DNA has always been in tennis operations and running tennis clubs and taught all the way through then came over to the States, traveled a bit and then taught for many years. And as I initially came into the company uh, I was a director. And then I just always had a, um, a fascination and a mindset. I wanted to learn more and wanted to, to grow more. And then just as our company started to grow, it sort of worked in those paths were great. Um, and I think we have a lot of great conversation. We don't steer our vision from what we know we steer it from how we engage with all of our clubs and our communities and how we talk to people within our network and also with outside of our network. So you listen to a lot of the feedback and I think there's always gonna be two way conversation because your team can bring you a certain amount of information of what's happening. You can bring them a certain amount of industry and knowledge and data information as well. And it's finding that blend Um, every club has a director of tennis, but also every club has a senior director that oversees that club. In some instances, they are a director of tennis of theirs as well. And they tie into it as uh, into a few other clubs. Um, So I think we've just got a very collaborative approach at it. Uh, We share within celebration where the successes are, but we also share in celebration where the challenges are because I'm all about creating a vulnerability that it's okay not to have the answers. But if you can talk with your other clubs about where you're having some challenges, you can tend to navigate it through and then they feel more supported. So I think that's my job is um, not you know trust the people that are around me, continue to make sure that they understand the decisions and the communication their team are making. So I can still stay at the drone, as you say, but sort of zoom in to zoom out on a lot of different pieces and not try to get my fingers in too many of the operations at a granular level, just sort of help steer the conversation at a a higher level and make sure the teams have got, I think the big thing there is the teams have got what they need to feel supported and what they need to succeed. It's, you know, you can't send in to build a house if you've only given them a, you know, a screwdriver and a hammer. So I think that, I think a lot of tennis and rackets facilities don't have what they need to succeed. And I think a lot of the time that's also in technology. This is an industry that's been too driven from feeling for too long. It's not been data-driven decisions and data-driven metrics that can sort of show where there's opportunity to grow and succeed as well.
1: But that's what I want to know. I want to know what data you have as <laughs> a lot of information. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you're a guy that has so much data that you should be able to go, okay, I'm starting to see that pickleball is going to take over the world or whatever, whatever's coming next. I want to know what you have.
2: So uh, part of that comes in like POS and schedulers. We uh, work with a great organization called Play by Points. So we can accumulate a lot of that data as well so that we can share and look at it. Um, a lot of it, we're very good with keeping historic numbers, whether it's in participation and metrics. Um, also it's industry trends. I talk to a lot of people in the industry all the time. I'm talking to a lot of our clubs and just it's I think you've got to be curious all the time and you've got to trust your gut. And I think, you know, as a business as well, we try to make good logical decisions, but when we need to move, we move fast. But then the big piece that I think my role is is through the data that we have is how can we build what our clubs are going to need in six months from now? So we're embarking on a big education project and a big operation project so that by the end of the year, all of our clubs will have universal systems throughout both CDT and PBI. So they've got more tools at their disposal and more data at their disposal so that they can be more armed to then forge forward. So I think the data that I look for is what I can build to give them so they're more equipped
1: like that very very political answer. Sean, I'm not telling you anything.
2: I'm just
1: telling you that you're really good at
0: it. Well, I I'm, I'm learning a lot too, Sean. I'll be honest. I'm I'm laughing cuz you know, he said he said some great things with unbelievable humility that I'm like, "Well, you're essentially saying you're better." And you know, if you're really which is good. Hey, I I'm, I'm all for it. That's why you're hiring me is that of my knowledge but Scott, you articulate it very well. <laughs> you make the person feel like whether it be the business side or the you know the the operations the employee side, oh you're a part of this. I know more than you, but you're definitely a part and I have the proof because I have the numbers and which is culture which is great. That's why they're calling you. And and you know that's the part again and I, and I, as we try to do in the city of Atlanta just trying to get the pros to understand what you're saying. I mean, again, we're not trying to fill this role, but there are a lot of facilities that ha- need a half a pro so if or a third of a pro. So if you find two other facilities, excuse me, like yourself, that you can get a good person and get them the hours you need and build their career, it helps everybody. And, you know, it, and it's tough to get people because we become too myopic about what we're doing. As you said, strengths and weaknesses. I love to I laugh because at the club, that now has tennis courts you know, I was dismissed at. The, the question was, you know, do, do you want more? Well, who's not going to answer, do you want more? You can always have more. What it gets down to is resources. How are you going to apply the resources? And are you going to give it time just to bear the fruit? I mean, we always used to, we went through more general managers because we were going to try to build a restaurant. And they would go in and try to do it for two months. And, well, that didn't work. You gave it two months. You know, we we didn't really give it a a chance to succeed. But again, I think the great part is when somebody goes to Scott, they're making an investment. They're saying we're going after the top of the rung because we want the expertise, which you should succeed because you are going to the the source who has all the information. What I'm dying to get him to admit to is what is that resurfacing at Chateau Alon? Really mean? That's what I, I I know he's not talking about redoing the courts. So I'm like, okay, what does he really mean there? That's is, are we getting indoor courts, Scott? That's what I'm I'm to know.
2: Sure, no no indoor courts there. I, I wish we had them in <laughs> the winter time, but um, yes. no, they're going through resurface. They're redoing all the, the pickleball and the tennis court. So gotcha. hopefully they're investing some good some good dollars there. The property is amazing to work with, and so I think that's going to be for a better experience. One thing I, I do probably want to circle back to, to maybe give a little more to you, Sean, there is, um, I think when you look at data as well, and I was talking to a director this morning about it, I think there's been three directors over the course of time. There's the numbers director, there's the feeling director, and then there's the director we want, which is the numbers and the feeling director. Because too many directors, that, it feels busy, it feels good, it feels whatever. Then there's a the guy that looks at the numbers all the time. You need to be a blend. I think it's part of the education that we really focus on with directors is them understanding the data that they can pull, them getting curious with it, and us building their literacy with financials and data so they can actually make something of it, not look at it and it looks like a bunch of numbers. What does it spell out? Uh, And helping them with how they chart their course so they don't pick a number that they want to get to. Understanding how to, how to chart the participation and driving the business to get to that. And I think sharing that information of not just looking at data, but how you sort of decipher it and see that it plays a very big role. And every director and senior director look at those numbers on a weekly basis. So we don't get too far away from it. We stay very close to it. Then I meet with every senior director on a weekly basis. So we can stay very granular with them without. Getting too, you know, too into the weeds.
1: Well, and that's really great advice because I think that's a thing. Every coach, whether you're a director or not, you spent a lot of independence here in in Atlanta that we talk to and we say, guys, what are your numbers? Oh, I make about, or I'm uh, maybe this, maybe more feelings, guys. Because I've met a few tennis pros that can't even do math, so we <laughs> want to be able to make sure that just look at it, and all of a sudden you'll have it in your head. Somebody asked me a number the other day, and I said. I can give you to the penny what we've made year to date in about 30 seconds. Hang on. Like that, that is really good information, whether you're a feeling, like I'm a feeling guy, feels busy, feel done, but the data really proves that maybe I'm not feeling this right. And maybe I, maybe I need to change something here or there. And that makes a big difference. If we, if we have all that data and we have all those, all those abilities to say, Hey, I'm going to check it every week. I'm going to pay attention. That leads me into my last question, and I'm going to segue. But then I'm going to pause and say, Bobby, you got anything else for Scott?
0: I know, I know we're running out of time. Just we'll see you next week, Scott.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of weekly, we're going to talk numbers with you. Um, but so, Scott, we, we have our my favorite question for sure. But it's our what we say our king of tennis question, and I think you're uh, you're uniquely uniquely qualified for this because you get. In in your drone drone's eye point of view, you get a lot of the data. You see where racket sports might be going and able to predict it, but you also are a tennis guy. You're an inherent tennis. You said it's in your DNA. So if you were king of tennis, is there anything, whether it's professional, clubs, in your business, uh, outside of it, social, any concept of tennis, if you were king of tennis for however long it took, is there anything you would do or change?
2: Absolutely. Um... The few things I would change. Um, One thing that I would change is that, uh, and I've shared this with my very good friends at the USTA, that they build the biggest, most powerful, robust POS scheduler system possible and improve the technology and give it to every facility across the country for free. And that would be the best investment they could make in tennis right there. And they would get all the data and they'd mine all the data, but then you would give everyone the technology because. Tennis has been far too be- behind in technology. I would be self-admitted where we are here. Is, I sit at the Ritz up until COVID. It's our lo- largest operation that does millions of dollars in programming. And we ran it off a cameo beauty book and a pencil up until a handful of years ago. So I, I put myself in the ring on that one as well. Um, I think that's technology. I would mandate that every tennis facility around the country has, tennis 101 and a social component that went to it because I think too many of us go out there and teach the people we're comfortable with and they're established. So it'd be a mandate that everyone has tennis 101 for adults and a social component. Um, Also it'd be a mandate that we have education programs in schools for coaches, whether it's for tennis or other sports, so that more coaching positions are seen as very important positions in the American culture. Because if you want to be a tennis coach in Australia or England or France, it's held in very high regard. I don't think a lot of people enter the profession here because they don't see it in the same high regard. I see it as one of the most skilled professions out there because all the things that you do. Um, So that would be something I would lift that elevation. I think that does come through education, certification. But also um, the other thing I would put in there as well is uh, I would put a – You've got to play nice in the sandbox together. Anyone who plays pickleball has to take a a tennis 101, and anyone who plays tennis has to take a pickleball 101. Because I think we're going to need each other to continue to grow and forge racket sports forward. I think there's a lot of stickiness that can come for tennis from pickleball. My wife's a great example. She'll perpetually be in tennis 101 for many years, but she's playing a little pickleball, but it's getting her excited to come into tennis. Uh, And I think every club needs to have that mix because that's going to help them get more and and increased budgets for their, you know, their racket departments. Um, I think that's going to be crucial for us all. So those would be some of my immediate actions in my reign of King, however long that may last.
0: (laughs) Well, I love the subtlety. And I I think it's an awesome subtlety that scream from the mouth, the difference, and, and especially here in Atlanta, history has said it, the difference between hiring the person because they're a good player, as opposed to hiring the person because you're a coach and a profession. And again, and it's it's you know, when we entered Sean and Sean and I literally met by getting certified 20 some odd years ago together at the same time. It was you weren't supposed to even think about getting certified until you had been in the profession for five years and decided this was a a career path. Now, because of the the need to get pros, historically, we've moved away from that. And there's a big difference. There's a difference between the player. You know, look at professional sport. Bill Belichick played lacrosse for Beat Saints, and he's going to go down potentially as the greatest football coach that ever lived. There's a difference between coaching and playing. There's a difference. How many times do we hire a good coach to be a director? There's a huge difference between a coach and a director and the skills that are necessary. And again, the the beauty of what you guys do is you got all the hats and you have the resources to put the person involved and engaged with the person who's going to most benefit everybody's experience and you know i think like you said i i wish industry-wide that that whole mentality was shared better
1: absolutely i think i think bobby's your new sales guy in atlanta is what it sounds like I, <laughs>
0: I, I, i'm in i'm in i i it just it's And and hey Scott, power to you because you, you put on a, a, a great presentation. And, you know, it gives people – there's a sense of knowledge. And, hey, I know what I'm talking about. And you get a lot of tennis instructors here in Atlanta. The, the biggest thing we always tell people is get there on time. You know, and, and that's we, – we, that's if you're starting late, you're starting with a bad impression. So, you know, first impressions are huge. You, you know, you got to look the part. You don't have to be a Wimbledon champion, but you got to look the part and you know you do a a great presentation and and those are as we we like to see you getting more involved on the bigger scale to help the entire industry i know you have no burden but you know it's impressive and good good show for cliff drysdale and peter burwash to have you and and hopefully it'll permeate continuously into the industry
2: i appreciate that i mean we're um we're big believers of all ships raised with the tide so there's enough for all of us around and I think if we can all share more and sort of swing for the fences, but also have good decisions with it and sort of share thoughts with each other, we should celebrate the success of everyone because that's how we're going to celebrate the success of racket sports and create more progression for everyone out there. And
0: And and it's fun. Like you said, I mean, that's why I always laugh. That's why I love shut. It's social. Tennis is the commonality and this is what we're trying to do. We start with tennis, but what Where's the commonality take us? As adults, it's harder to find individual like-minded individuals. We're not all in school together. We're, you know, so tennis is the great opportunity here in Atlanta, but it's not we should take it further. You know, there, there's a lot of other things that we do in our lives that uh, you know tennis could be a great st- you know stepping off point from, and again, uh, love what you're doing. We'd love. I don't know who we need to talk to about doing something. Directly with Chateau Alain, but I would love to make something available to my members at my club as yeah. well as other members. It's it's not a threat to me. I, I no. want you to go away to someplace else because your your guys will introduce a slice back in, which I won't do. But if they get introduced to it and come back to me and say, "Hey, the guy showed me. I want to learn it." Well, then you just made my job easier. So it, you know, I'm all for it. I, I love the idea. So yeah, let, let's let's you know, let's see what we can do together and throw some fish out there for the Atlanta
1: market. This has been fantastic. We're only half kidding about talking to you every week, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely be in touch. I really appreciate everything you've done.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on and i uh, love to be back.
1: Well, there you have it. We want to thank rejuvenate.com for use of the studio and be sure to hit that follow button. For more tennis related content, You can go to atlantatennispodcast.com, and while you're there, check out our calendar of tennis events, deals on equipment, apparel, and more. And you should feel good knowing that shopping at letsgotennis.com helps support this show. You can also donate directly using links in the show notes. And with that, we're out. See you next time.